welcome back to the I'm your host, Matt Diner, and this is the show for sport coaches, strength and conditioning coaches, and fitness entrepreneurs who want to increase the impact they have on those around them. For today's episode, it is part one of my conversation with David Jack. Uh, this is going to be in two parts. First, because it's just a long interview, I, I really believe that David shared a lot of great information. Uh, we were able to just to dive into a few different topics. It's also in two parts because about midway through, we start to shift the focus a little bit. So I think it was just natural to split up this episode into two. Uh, but if you're not familiar with David, um, you should be. He's one of the world's most recognizable strength and conditioning coaches, not necessarily because of, of his training philosophy, which I know he definitely knows what he's talking about and does a great job, but it's because he's such an inspiring trainer uh, and truly wants to magnify the good. And we'll talk about that mission statement in our interview, um, but just wants people to train not just to reach a physical goal, uh, but to really inspire others and act out of a purpose greater than yourself. So David has been uh, not only inspiring other trainers, but his clients, um, has hosted conferences and spoken many times. When I first started the show uh, and met Dave, or met Jim Kilbasso and went to the IYCA clinic, he's like, you've got to meet David Jack. He is the spirit of the fitness industry and someone that you will vibe with. And I'm glad David and I got to connect. I'm glad Jim introduced us and, and leads to this conversation. So um, stick around after this part one because I'm going to break down a few main points and just extract some information. But here is part one of my conversation with David Jack. David, thanks so much for joining me on the show. I can't even tell you how excited I am for our conversation. I know it's going to be powerful, so thank you. Oh, Matt, I'm, I am as excited as you are, brother. I love this organization. I love everything you stand for, and I can't wait to see where the conversation goes, truly. Well, I'm, I'm going to dive right in because I feel like there's a few different directions we can go with this conversation, and, and I know uh, from getting to hear you talk at the IYCA Summit and just getting to talk with you a little bit before our, our show right here, um, man, every, everything you have to say, I just love your insights. So I want to make sure I, I give as much time to, for you to share as possible. Uh, but I'm going to start with um, just your, your mission of magnify the good and everything that you do um, through Activate and Active Prayer and some of the ministries and different things that you're a part of that mission of magnify the good is always out in front. So I just want to start by asking what led to that mission becoming the driving force behind everything you do? How did that all come about? Yeah, it's a great question. I don't think it was a master plan. I don't think we had, I don't think we were brilliant or insightful or, you know, had some five-year plan that we could look at and say, wow, you know, look at this vision we've come up with and, you know, it's going to be awesome to execute this. We, we felt called to do something a little bit different in fitness and in wellness and with people through that vehicle. Uh, we stumbled forward. We're still stumbling along. There's days and we have no idea what we're doing. As a matter of fact, uh, if you ask a lot of close friends of mine and peers, they'll, uh, they'll tell you right now, if we had them on, uh, you know, on this call that I've said that I feel, um, 
probably the most uneducated, uh, the, the least wise. <laughs> uh, and, and I feel like I have the least amount of core focus and direction in my career uh, this past few years, which, which is exciting and is humbling at the same time. But I think we, we just stumbled into, through, with my partners and with some experiences, we stumbled onto this. We know we wanted it to be clear. We know we wanted it to be concise. And, and Magnify the Good, just it just kind of came together. Uh, and then we extended. So that was the vision for Active Prayer. And then it extended a little bit further into a mission as it related to things that we were trying to do in fitness and wellness. And, and that working mission has become to magnify the good in fitness, wellness, lifestyle. So you can kind of take fitness and, you know, be a, play a Rubik's cube with that word uh, and the people it serves. So to magnify the good in fitness and the people it serves. And so fundamentally what we, the, the things I think I've struggled with in my career are just these questions that I've asked myself, right? Like what is fitness, right? What is good? Like, what is, how do we even know? How do you know? And, and is, so, oh, that's a good coach. And then this guy over here goes, no, that's not a good coach. Well, how could two of us who have played a similar sport look at the same individual and one says that's a good coach and one says that's not a good coach? How could two individuals look at a piece of equipment who have similar experience in fitness and go, oh, no, that's a good piece of equipment. Oh, no, that's not a good piece of equipment. So really, like, what is good? Because in the end, I think we all want to serve people with this thing called fitness. And and I, I really genuinely believe that. Like, I think we do. I, sometimes we get lost in the push and the pull and the chase and the noise of what we're supposed to do in this profession and how we're going to make money and how we're going to survive and the real stresses of life. Yeah. But I think when you strip all that away in a perfect world, man, we just want to leave something behind for people. That's good. We want to leave something behind. That's good for them to inherit. Like that's legacy, right? Leaving something behind that's good. And whether they inherit it or not, that's not our, that's not our responsibility. Leaving options, leaving opportunities for people to choose up. I think that is. And so for us, we said, what would it look like to magnify the good in fitness and, and all its components? And then it was really important that secondarily and almost primarily, we said, and the people it serves. Because see, fitness, we could do all the right things in fitness, but if the people we're serving it with, if, if we don't understand them, if we don't get to know who they are, if we don't create relationships, if we don't celebrate their unique nature, their passions, their drives, their stories, their challenges, their goals, um, and their unique wiring, their unique motivations, and, and they don't start to feel and start to see something different about who they are and start to feel like they are good and they have worth, as good as the fitness is, it, it tends to just fall away, at least in my experience. Yeah, I love that. To hear you talk about that, and I know you're saying that there, there are some struggles and, and you're, you're still asking questions and, and trying to find answers to all these things, but the fact that to hear you talk about magnify the good and really dive deep with it is, is a reason I think that having this conversation with you is you're the right person for it because – we're, we're talking to a lot of entrepreneurs within the strength and conditioning or fitness world. And a lot of times we look at this concept of wanting well, to have a vision statement or I need to have a mission. And 
there may be people that w- would be content with, hey, magnify the good. That sounds simple. It's it's great to put up on a website. Uh, I'm just going to leave it at that. But the fact that you're wrestling with it and you are really starting to define those terms, like what is fitness? What is good? Um, that, that means a lot. And I, I really respect that. So my, my, I guess my follow-up question is, and, and I know that you do a good job of this, how does that clear vision affect your behaviors and how you act individually, how you act as a business? Um, because when I look at the work that you do and, and, and online and all those things, you can tell that Magnify Good is something that's not just at one spot on a website. You're living it out. Um, but what does that look like for you? How has that affected your behaviors and, and how you've taken different um, direction as a company? And maybe what's some advice that you can give to businesses that maybe are looking at this and, and haven't spent a lot, a lot of time looking at their vision. Why is it so important not only to craft the vision, but how does that affect everything else you do? You know, that's a really good question. And, and man, we've struggled with it so much. And I think one of the things that I, I you start out and, and I start out maybe overzealous. I, I'm a, I, I'm an experienced, the ideal guy. I, I see anything that's possible and we can do this. And I think one of the things that I've had to really pull back and realize that, that the magic of this is each person has the right to their own choice. Each person has freedom of choice. And, and so I've had to step back and I've had to really look at, well, are there principles we can agree on? Are there methods we can agree on? Are there concepts that we can agree on? But then is there freedom and how we can use that as individuals for ourselves, right? So, you know, I think anyone in strength and conditioning can agree that putting on a lot of weight without anyone having mechanics or patterns or good form, I think anybody can agree that that's not good. Like, and, and, and that's not a personal thing, right? That's, that's not, you know, oh, I personally think that's a good thing. You personally think that's a good thing. So I think you're wrong by telling me that's not the right thing to do. No, no, no. I think the truth of that principle overrides our emotional, individual um, interpretations, interests, desires. I think there's a standardized truth in that, that can become a rudder for how we do things. But, you know, I think for what it does for me is having a vision, having a mission, it's done two things for us. One, it makes everything we do like, so you make the a mission that you believe in. So let me back up. Active prayer by definition is this inspired action dedicated to intention greater than yourself. So what we say is if, if you're an individual and something is exciting to you, you're passionate about it, it moves your heart, you've got a story behind it that you want to help someone else not write the same story or maybe have a chance to write a new story, that's an intention that's greater than yourself. So then the, the, all it is is helping you discover that and step into that and then act on it. And the cool thing is your action will be inspired because it's something that moves your heart it moves your soul. And so what we, what we say, we have this coaching principle uh, called I dedicate. And so the ID, it's a small I and a capital D. And that's, that basically, uh, it kind of speaks to who you are, what you believe in, the things you believe in, why you believe in them, like your identity, discovering more about yourself, discovering more about the profession that we're in, that, that fitness ID is what we call it. And then the, the capital D, the E, and the D, so it goes like this. That, that first D is drive awareness. That second, that E is elevate thinking. 
that that next D in dedicate is uh, dedicate action. So here's what we know if we go backward with that. Action is the currency that changes the world. Not what I think, not the stuff I talk about in a room with somebody. The fact that I act on it. I bring something to life in the world through how I create, what I create, what I pass on, what I act, what I choose to act on. The cool thing about that is that action is is the currency to that action or the catalyst to that action is our thoughts, right? So what we think, how we think starts to fuel how we act. Remembering action is what's important to really create change in the world and, and change in ourselves. The only way we can think differently is if we become aware of something and aware of something on a deeper level, maybe seeing the same thing differently than we always have. So let me give you an example for that. A Dynamax medicine ball. It's a tool that I love. Most of our industry, most of doesn't know the story, know the, the principles behind that ball and doesn't know most of the patterns with it that they would say are really the most effective patterns to unlock the potential in this ball. So if I handed you that ball and asked you to show me all the exercises that you knew how to do with the Dynamax ball and why, that individual would share with me what they knew, what they were aware of. But then if eight of us came together, by the way, magnifying the good, we believe it happens when we come together. Rising tides raise all ships. It's a collaborative, co-creative model. And I think it's the only way we can really do this, Matt, in my opinion. But if eight of us came together that had experience with that, that ball in different ways, in different environments, with different athletes, and then we started to share our exercises, our stories, our layouts, our protocols, our programming with each other, and then just spent time in that room creating and sharing ideas, discovering new things, what we would walk out of, we would never see that ball the same way again. Then I can never think about it the same way again, which means action we bring to the world is what changes it is what grows it, is what benefits people. So for me, long way around saying, and by the way, I didn't have a mission for my first 18, if you want, but I think ultimately this, if you start to really think about fundamental questions, what is fitness? Why does it matter? Who am I serving with it? Who are they? Why do they matter? Why am I doing what I'm doing? What is strength? What is speed? What is power? What is flexibility? What is balance? You know, what's important about if people have an hour to come to my facility, what's the most important thing I could give them in that hour? Why would I, why would they come back? What could I do to challenge ordinary, to, to do ordinary extraordinarily well that would have people be interested in coming back to see us, to be here? And when you start to think about those things, then you might be able to go, you know what? These are things that matter to me. These are principles that matter. These are values that matter. How do I protect these people in my four walls? When they get here, what do I do? What's in my walls? What's on my walls? What's around my walls? What type of music do I play? What type of words do I use? How do I greet someone at the door? Do I talk with my other three coaches in the corner with two kids that come and that are popular? And then when four kids that are not maybe as popular or not new come in the door, do I just continue on with my conversation or playing games with them? 
or do I shift over and make sure those people feel welcome coming into my door? You see, when those things start to become important to you, it's like, it's like a goalpost and, and, and the boundaries on a football field. At least now I know what I'm aiming for, and at least now I know what my boundaries are. Can they move for me? Yes. But at least I know I've got some boundaries and I've got some goalposts. I've got some goals. I've got some things that matter to me that start to shape what's in and what's out in what I do with delivering fitness or serving other people with fitness. And by the way, including myself. So it's a long way around. I hope some of that made sense. Yeah, it makes sense to me because when you start talking about it's going to end up affecting, like you said, the music that you play and the words that you use because you spend so much time really reflecting on and challenging what is that vision I think that's good advice for everybody to say, you have to be asking yourself, what does that actually look like? What does that behavior look like um, to lead towards that vision? And I don't think it's ever going to be this stagnant thing where, all right, we've achieved it. We're we're Mm -hmm. good. Um, Things will change quite a bit. And it sounds like that's what you're going through, um, which makes perfect sense when you say, man, we're, we're still stumbling forward and learning. I, I would say that if you got complacent and stopped asking those questions, you'd notice that you miss out on opportunities and things would just look the same and that's not getting better. So even if you're going to hit and miss on some things, being able to say, well, does it lead towards this? If I put it down as a value or I put it down as a mission or vision, if, if something I do around my facility from equipment that you buy to how I'm programming, if it doesn't lead towards that, then why am I doing it? You know, if That's I right. recognize how important it is enough to, to write that down and to make that thing I do, why would I waste time doing something that doesn't help meet that end or work towards that goal? So it make, makes perfect sense to me. And, um, you know, I think that you can just tell you're passionate about magnify the good and it comes up all the time. Every, every time I've, I've heard from you or, or listened to um, different videos or posts that you have, some version of that mission comes out. And I think that's the important thing. How do you keep it in front of you? You know, is, is there anything that you do or is it just, mm. Hey, you're talking about it all the time or, or how do you bring yourself back? If you start to feel that, man, I, I've started to stray a little bit. Is there anything mm. that you intentionally do to keep that? Um, yes, uh, there are, and there's, there's things I'm probably not doing that I should be doing. Uh, you know, I think like one of the principles, uh, that we should, so on principles, I wanted to share a pretty cool statement that a friend of mine, Alan Cosgrove, uh, I read it a long time ago and we talked about it. It said, uh, methods are many principles or few methods always change principles. I say rarely do. And I think that's, I just wanted to share that cause it's on my heart. Um, secondarily, I would say that um, some of the, one of the principles that we teach or the, the concepts that we teach are, uh, so for example, who's in front of you, who's with you and who's behind you, like at any one time. So fitness for us is we, we look at fitness a lot differently. Right. Um, and one of the things I know for sure is I could have people do all the right movements, all, all the right patterns, all the right programming. Um, but if I look at their life, their life. So remember, we want fitness to leave the gym, right? It should transfer out of the four walls of our gym and transfer not only into the thing that they're focused on athletically or physically, but also into all their affairs, into all the parts of being human, 
right? Because that's real fitness. So, you know, for, for, for us, it's, it's who's in front of me, you know, who do I have that's, where are they leading me? What are they teaching me? How are they shaping me? What, how are they mentoring me? Uh, and why? You know, we talk about magnifying the good. One of the things that keeps me honest and keeps me reminded about what this mission really is, it's I'm a servant. Like I am serving people with something and I'm in the service industry. So my job is to magnify the good in them. When, a, when the world around them all day, every day is doing its best to tell them who they are, who they aren't, what they should do, what they shouldn't do, how they should choose, how they shouldn't choose, emotionally, not rationally, how to look at the world around them and look at their relationships and look at what it means to be a stud athlete or X, Y, Z, that all of that is going on all the time from so many different directions now more than ever. Man, if I, if I have an opportunity to stay with someone for an hour without a phone in their hand, what am I going to say to them? What, what do I, what story do I want to tell them? What part of them do I want to highlight, shine a light on, speak life into so that at least they've got something that's like, there's a malady out there. And I think we're going to maybe have a conversation about it later in the story, the world and the patterns of the world, the calls, the desires, the interests, you know, the likes and dislikes of the world that is constantly vying for people's attention. And you know what it's doing? It's affecting their mind. It's affecting their hearts. It's affecting their spirit. It's affecting their physiology, their energy, their stress. If you don't think it's real, there's thousands of studies to prove it. Um, and so my opportunity is to speak life into the good that's in them, to give them a different story to contemplate and to hear over and over again, to take that malady and give it some medicine. And so for me, I remember who, I remember the call of this profession as best I can, though, man, it slips through my fingers sometimes, but I do my best to remember the responsibility of the call. I remember who has called me to create. And it's, it's no secret to most people that know me that I am a man of faith. And really, that's my ultimate scorecard, right? So it starts there and then it trickles down from there into everything that I do because I've got someone that I've got to check in with. I, I have a true north. I have a mission master. I've got someone that I believe for me is in front of me that I want to do my best to honor and, and to, to take this life that I have been gifted and use it appropriately, right? So then who's with me? Who, who's walking this out with me? Who are my peers? Who are my friends? Who's speaking life to me on any given day? What are they encouraging me to do? What are they challenging me? You know, do, do the closest people that I've got every day in my life, when I get on the phone with them, are they talking trash about another coach? And, oh, did you see what this dude did with deadlifts? It's so stupid. Oh, dude, you see this new kettlebell? What? That is so dumb. Like, why would anybody ever do that? Bro, did you see that kid that I trained the other day? Listen, this kid was like 13. He was so um, unbalanced and uncoordinated. He's never going to play it down in his life. It's like, Psh, I got to deal with these athletes. Yeah, you got to vent. Yeah, you need someone to honestly speak speak about your feelings with because you can't hide that stuff every day. You're in trouble, man. Like, you're in trouble. And then who's behind you? Like, who are you reaching down to? Who are you pouring into? Where are you leading them? What are you showing them? And so I take that as an example of one of the principles that we teach and we use that I also remind myself of, how do I keep that mission in front of me? I keep God first. 
I focus on and I try to do my best to be a good husband and a good dad. thing that he's called me to, this thing called fitness and wellness, and I do my best with fear and trembling because half the time I don't know what I'm doing. I do my best to ask for help. I do my best to surround me with people that are smarter than I am, care about what I'm doing, care about this profession, and then I do my best to reach out to others that want to be better, that want to make good decisions, that need someone to mentor them. And I think the combination of those things, you know, help me remember when I forget or help me stay on course um, the, the 10% of the time when I got my act together. <laughs> no, that's a great reminder. Uh, I think when, when I was at the summit, I interviewed Alan Stein, who was, you know, at that event and we were talking about his book, raise your game. And he mentioned that the plus equal minus uh, system of, of always looking for, for those above you equal to you to challenge you, but also how do I pour into others? So, hmm. Just a, a great reminder of how that reminds you of, again, what, what your calling is, who's called you, and you're able to keep that front and center. So I love uh, just love hearing you talk about that, and I think it, it kind of goes into the, the direction that I've gone with the past couple episodes of the show, talking about long-term athlete development. And mm-hmm. When you talk about that magnifying the good and how, how can I speak life into some of the athletes I work with and some of the clients that I'm with and, and using that hour um, to do things that are bigger than just the X's and O's of that training session or the exercise that you're doing and those things. Um, Rebecca Tritipo, who I just had on my last episode, uh, talked about this concept of introducing play into sports. Mm-hmm. Um, more and more because it's something that's gone away. Um, and I think when we look at just how we develop the athlete, and that's the person, not just their their 40 score and their or their skill, that, that's who they are as a person. Um, you mentioned speaking life and encouragement. I want I want you to talk just a little bit to the whole concept of being motivated by fear versus being motivated by joy and love. Mm. And to, to me, it's, it's a profound difference between the two of what's lasting and what's not and, and why that's so important. But can you speak a little bit into using joy, using play and some of those emotions um, and how it can affect and impact an athlete? Oh man, that is a, uh, that's a really deep question. question. Now. Uh, <laughs> nah, you know, when you mentioned the word fear, fear is the part of it that's, that's really loaded, is that's really deep because what well, one person seems to sees as fearful and another person sees as motivation. And, and in the end, I, I'm going to pin that because I don't use fear um, as a coaching tactic. I don't. I try not to use fear as a parenting tactic. I think that matters the most, right? It's, it's not always the thing you do. It's the heart behind why and how you do it. Sometimes, you know, there are soldiers that I've worked with, bro, there is fear. You are going into a situation where people want to take your life and they want to take the lives of those next to you. That is not joy. That is not, you find a way to make it purposeful, but there is real fear. And if you're not ready to go into that environment and you're not showing up today ready to train because you went out last night and you thought it was wise to go drink and stay up to two or three in the morning and do whatever you needed to do. And today's a training day that your life depends on this day. That guy right there next to you, his life depends on your decisions. 
and I'll let you go tell his wife that you thought it was cool last night to go out and drink so that you didn't show up to show up to this thing ready to give your best. I'm going to let you go make that phone call. I'm going to let you knock on that door. Yeah. That's not joy, but that's deep purpose. And there's a rev fear there that can motivate some. Yeah. Keep going. Sorry. Matt, did I lose you? No, I'm here. Can you hear me? Yes, sir. All right. No, I, I was just, I was just saying, as you said, as you said that, like, one of the things that I talked about with, with Rebecca a little bit was just that concept of fear. Fear can motivate you in the short term, but it, it doesn't last. And like you said, f- fear can mm-hmm. can definitely move the needle in an intense situation no. like that. No. But coaching from but, that emotion or trying to invoke fear, you, you keep looking mm-hmm. for more and more things and all of a sudden – you run out of things to make them fearful or, or using negative no. um, elements to it. It's why, horrible. Why are you so passionate about bringing the good, bringing the positive? And what have you noticed about the difference in motivation between fear and joy? I, I'm going to say one more thing about fear and then move into yeah. the joy. Cause that's where I live on the other side. I, I'll say this. I think fear is situationally based. I think fear is individually based. I think fear is, developmental stage based. I think fear is outcome based. What's the outcome of what this individual has to do? Do I even need to, do we even need to go there? Like you talk about long-term athletic development, you're bringing fear and punishment into kids that are anything under 15, 16 years old. Wrong direction. In my opinion, if it works for you, great, but I can promise this. It's a short-term game model with a lot of long-term pain that you'll never even be able to track that you'll never be able to, 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 validate or quantify if you're going to use that if you think you're going to use that man kudos to you because you got to be an absolute rock star coach not just from the physical x's and o's of what we do but but you better have some kind of counseling background you better have some kind of therapy background you better have some kind of personal experience where you know how to use that in the right moments the right time in the right place with the right purpose with the right situational awareness to make that work for you in the long run. And it is a short-term strategy for high-level situations and athletes, in my opinion. And there are moments when we need to teach people how to face everything and run. I mean, face everything and rise or forget everything at all because they haven't learned how to take the situation, put it in its proper place mentally, emotionally, physically, spiritually, and go, okay, I got this. That comes from a lot of experience and a lot of really good coaching. So I'm going to set that over there. What I love about play is I think play was, I think it's natural by design. I think our creator gave it to us. Look in the animal kingdom. There's stories. My friend, Dr. Kwame Brown, who's a big play guy, neuroscientist, um, talked about some studies that he did when he was at Georgetown where they took rats, put them in, uh, same litter, um, left some in a cage with like nothing but some water and some food, put some in a cage that had tubes and spin wheels and all these other things where they could run and play and create, then put them in. It was significantly statistically different and how fast the rats that had the ability to play, explore, create, figure stuff out, 
actually did when it came to a standardized test on the other end. Part two, more significant. He sep- they separated these, these siblings and they put them, uh, they left some together and then they isolated some in their own cages. And then they watched the ones that were in the cages they kept together. What'd they do? They like lions, right? They slap each other around. They jump on each other. They, they roll around. They, they kick each other. You know, they're rough and tumble play. There's so many studies on that, by the way. I don't even want to go into it right now. Um, and then they intro- reintroduced the rats that they put in isolation back in with the family. They wanted to kill each other. Play is such a deep, innate connector. Human being, human being, creation to creation that is way beyond, way beyond what science can prove right now. Dr. Stuart Brown, also I think is one of the greater neuroscientists out there right now, has said when they've watched what happens in the brain, when they're actually, the brain is hooked up to, to brainwave activity, when someone is involved in play, and he defines it as this, and they're engaged in an activity that they're deeply passionate about or deeply joyful about, it separates them from the constraints of time and space. And he said, what happens in the brain, this is his words, not mine, what happens in the brain activity when someone is involved in an environment or a situation like that, when the activity they're engaged in separates them from the constraints of time and space, what happens in their brain, quote unquote, borders on the divine because it's that profound. Let me give you a clear example. Guy's got phone calls coming in. He's got his kids yelling in his ear. He's got fax machines going on. He's got a flight to schedule. He's got deadlines on stuff, da-da-da-da-da, you know, stuff on the phone, just bing, 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 social media, stressed out, whole nine yards, working the phone as he makes his way to the parking spot, parks, still working the phone while he's rummaging through the back of his, you know, forerunner, pulling stuff out off the top of the forerunner, still working the phone, shuts the thing down, throws the phone in his glove box, locks the truck, puts the surfboard in the water, the world is gone. It is gone. That moment right there is so profoundly powerful. And if we can provide, what's one of the things I think people have lost, they've made fitness just like, think about new sports. They've made it so rigorous, so organized, so structured, so outcome-based, so processed. Not that that's bad, some of it, but they're missing the freedom that they get to, to, to discover, to create, to collaborate, to, to be separated from the cares of the world, to get lost in what they're doing. Remember when we were little and you're out playing and having a ball with your friends and in the distance you kind of hear this vague voice. Mine sounded like, David, because I was so engaged and immersed in the play that I was involved in. Then the voice would get louder. Then, my, then it would be David Jack. Then it would be David Donald Jack, and I'd be like, we got a little bit longer. I just got, and then I'd hear my father whistle, which means he just got home from work. My mom said to him, your boys aren't listening. They're not coming home for dinner. And that whistle meant that's it. Then I'd be like, uh-oh, we got to go. And we'd run home. Like, that's what it took to draw me out of those environments. And, and then the cool thing about that is, and, and people pick on play all the time and you know, oh, it's esoteric. You know, how do you structure it? How do you, how do you get metrics out of it? What do you mean, how do you get metrics out of it? Get metrics out of a deadlift. Get metrics out of a sprint. Why are you going to try to get metrics out of this? Watch people laugh. Watch kids high five. Watch them figure out something you couldn't help them figure out. Watch them start to move and enjoy physical activity. Oh my gosh, can this actually be fun? Can human movement be fun? 
And then what's really cool, once you use it to connect people in ways you could never connect them with a squat or a bench or whatever, to give them opportunities to discover new things, to co-create with you, to activate new activities, to encourage one another, you also can take the teaching moments based on what you're looking for and what you pay attention to and pull those out because you saw a kid jump a count. You're supposed to be out for 10 seconds, counted for seven. There's an awesome teaching moment. And here's the really cool thing about it. When our athletes are involved in play-like environments, they are not consciously competent to understand what they're doing or not doing from a habitual, from a from a, a, a kind of human activity standpoint, they're immersed in the play. So what you get to see, you're, you're screening them without them knowing what you're looking for because they're immersed in absolute subconscious. They are free and they're engaged. So their habits, they can hide them. They can't hide them from you. Athletes are awesome compensators. You put them in a game situation where they're now the competitive stuff flares or they're having issues with a move. You could watch a kid play a fun ball off a wall game every time he turns to his right to catch the ball. What did you just see? This kid can't hide that from you. He doesn't like to turn left. Awesome. This game revealed that to me. Not making him feel less than, not making trying to isolate it down to what it might look like, you know, that he can adapt to. And make it look like he doesn't have a problem with it. Nope. It's on display. So play in and of itself, I think, is deeply innately wired in, in the way we were created in our brains, in our hearts, in our hormones, how we connect with others. Play is what I call a universal connector, um, especially when it's delivered the right way. And then the back end of it is, man, if you want to go there, it can be your greatest discovery tool and one of the most effective teaching methodologies you can use to truly help people be better athletes, be better at fitness, and take that out into countless other things in life. Wow. So in, in kind of going and recapping some of that, what I think is really cool is I pointed the listeners to some resources in my last episode that, that break down just some ways to implement play through mm. different games or activities or team building opportunities. And, um, so I love hearing that, again, you reinforce the importance of it. But the one thing I really took from that is when you talk about how how it's an assessment tool. And, mm. man, just changing the look on, like, if I'm a coach or if I'm a strength coach and I'm going to implement some sort of play and enjoy in my session, it would be very easy to say to stop at the fact of saying, hey, I, I'm, you know, I've got a one-hour session. I'm going to implement this 20 minutes of – of play or game and they're getting fun. That's, that's great. And that, that's it. I programmed it in. I did my job. <laughs> they should have fun and see results, but to mm-hmm. go a step further, like you're saying and and say, and that's the valuable part is you being able to watch the play and extract from it. That's something I think every, everyone listening, that's a coach, strength coach, fitness, you know, professional needs to hear is that it's not just, Hey, put it into your program and, let it happen. That's a time for you to really learn so much so that you can put it back in. So it's amazing. We didn't hear anything else or talk about anything else, this conversation. That's a, that's a concept man, there's a lot you can get from that. And just knowing that maybe helps you relate to a parent to, to bring back and say, Hey, we played this game today. 
here's what I learned from it. So it's not just, you know, a parent saying, oh, yeah, he does games. It's kind of fun. My kid enjoys it. Um, or some parents may look at that and say, well, that was a waste of time. I don't know why he's playing mm-hmm. games. But for you to have the ability to extract from it and relate on a deeper level or even say, here's how we can take that and actually change your program or modify your program because of what I saw, that's that's really personalizing towards that athlete. I love it. Well, and then you can, as a coach, you can decide if you want to make the play, uh, if you want to make competition opaque, if you want to make it transparent, you can decide what, what density marker you want to pick up. So here's what I'll say that, and I, so to get real concrete with strength coaches that are listening right now, and I know it's a play, how do we even do this? Man, just trust it. It does what it does. It doesn't need you. It doesn't need me. It really doesn't. It's good. When you talk about magnifying the good and fitness, plays good. You just got to put some safety boundaries around it. Set. So my friend Dave Gleason and I came up with this little kind of acronym. I, it's set the stage, guide the activity, anchor the goods. Set, guide, and anchor. Set the stage so people know what to expect, what's good, what's in, what's out, boundaries, anything like that. Let them be a part of creating that. Depending on the age group, that might change, right? Um, how much co-creation capacity you give to them. Um, and then it's guide the activity. Coach's eye, watch, listen, pay attention, absorb what's going on around you. You will see a theatrical you know, um, mass unveiling in front of your eyes. And then anchor the goods. When you see something really cool pop up or something that was, you know, some, something someone did or a way someone moved or what, something someone said or, you know, you could make it team building based. You could make it leadership based. You could make it service based. You could make it uh, courage, heart, balance, coordination, um, denying your right to yourself to give someone else a chance to be better. I mean, you decide, pull it out, let them share, let them talk about it, give them one to chew on and, uh, and anchor the goods. And then sometimes you just let them play without any of it. Here's what I'll say. If it wasn't important, then why do most athletes, I mean, any coach listening right now, take 20 or 30 year athletes, like anywhere, they come into an environment and they, they see some people that they know in a park and one of them's got a Frisbee in their hand or a football in their hand or, you know, a spike ball ball in their hand or a cornhole bag in their hand. What are 18 to 20 of those kids going to do as soon as they see a ball in my hand? I'm asking. <laughs> what do you think they're going to do? The, the minute they see a ball in my hand. Yeah, they're, they're going to play. It's, it's going to be something like this. Right? The whistle, the clap. Yo! Right? All of them. All the time. So if it, like, why would we hold that back? That's the thing they're asking for all the time. You as a coach get to provide an environment that is what I would call a an opportunity for imposed demand, right? Then you give them the opportunity to, to adapt and sometimes specifically, but to adapt generally to those imposed demands. I watched my daughters grow up on playgrounds. I took them in, they came into my gym from the time that they were crawling to playgrounds. We playground hunted. Matt, I'm telling you, I wish I could have videoed the whole thing and then like compressed it all and showed a highlight video of it over the course of like four years. I remember just a playground. It had boundaries around it. It had me making sure they didn't go in the street. It had some fences over there. I didn't care if they went in the sandbox or on the the jungle gym. I didn't care. All of it was an opportunity for them to explore. And I watched my youngest, when my oldest was 18 months older than her, like sitting on her bum, like leaning against his climbing wall while I'm helping my two-year-old up the climbing wall. And then I'm just like holding my little 18, six-month-old because she can't stand yet to fast forward two years 
monkey barring, jumping over things, creating her own stuff, the, the environment, the I didn't do anything. I just put some boundaries around it. The environment, the atmosphere itself provided her internal wiring, her tools that were gifted to her at birth to adapt to those things. Did I hold her backside when she was little and maybe help her back and so she didn't fall off the little climbing wall? Of course, that's coaching, right? Did I, did I say, hey, Ella, of course. That's all. I, it's so simple. They did the rest. I just guided them and I just watched that, pe- you know, all those playgrounds and just those pieces of equipment give my kids an opportunity to shape movements that had so much functional density. That's the last thing I'll say on play before you take me next to the next piece that when you pull apart an activity that say we would use and I could use one with a tennis ball and a cone. When I look at that and I compare it to, and by the way, strength and conditioning and like it's a beautiful marriage. You can't get around being strong. You got to have patterns. You got to have systemic strength. You got to have balance. You need to be strong because it's the fuel that feeds so many other things. I am not, Hear me out there, coaches. I am not, that is an absolute foundational prerequisite. But when I start to look at, after a kid has squatted a thousand times, the functional density in a squat, and I look at the functional density in that game with a ball and a cup that we can create, there's about five or six levels with the squat and about 40 levels of potential functional density in that little ball and cone game. And, and the, ball, the ball and cone game gets the, that's, that's silly. That's, what, what good is that doing? What good is that doing? Oh my gosh. Like, when we just start to unpack what's possible for the human mind and the human physiology, it's unbelievable. So that's my diatribe about that. Um, and I think you would ask me to take you to, uh, you would ask me to take you somewhere with that thought on play. Um, and that, and I, I don't think I answered that. I'm sorry. No, I think you did because when you start getting into, um, there's so much you can learn from it. And then, couple that with the fact that play brings joy into it. And we talk about the sustainable motivation of, of joy to where you're mm-hmm. out playing and it takes you, you know, how many times getting called by your mom, then a whistle from your dad just to come inside. When you look at how much benefit is from those games in play mm-hmm. and then couple it with the fact that play brings out joy means mm-hmm. you're going to not only get their best, but you're going to get their best for a longer period of time. Mm-hmm. And what coach isn't looking for, Hey, I want to get the most out of my players consistently. You just answered those two questions yeah. that coaches want all the time, but they're going about mm-hmm. it the wrong way. They're, they're, they're using fear or they're using, Hey, I'm yeah. going to try to do this one drill and they should just, they should want to work hard because I'm telling them to. Uh, versus, hey, if I, if I put out a game and play, I'm going to get the effort. I can coach them up on the form mm-hmm. or whatever I need them to. Um, but coaches want that. But what you're saying is it, it seems the opposite of what we, we normally hear in this profession, whether it be coaching or strength coaching, um, that you have to be doing more squats and more of this and more of that. And when, when you actually look back and say, well, what's the end result I want? What does mm-hmm. good look like? it really brings it to play as, mm. as a solution for that rather than it being something that's lacked at. I think we, and you're making the case for how, how do we seriously need to look at that as a, as a strategy for everything we do as coaches. Um, so to, to me, you, you spoke to play because of all the well, things you said, if we don't implement it, we're, we're, we're missing out 
on some of those even physical benefits. Well, let me make the concrete case two more ways. It's real concrete. And I know sometimes I get esoterical. Let me get concrete. One, if I put a 45-year-old guy who said he wanted to lose weight on a treadmill and I've had him do intervals, I can promise you this. And he really doesn't like or dislike the treadmill. It just is what it is to get to an end goal, uh, which that that in its own right could be an issue. But um, what's going to happen? So say it's a 15 minutes and I'm there coaching, encouraging, pushing him. What's going to happen at 15 minutes when time's up? He's going to be ready to be done. He's going to hit the stop button. It is over, man. It's like 1459, 15, ugh, done, over, stops. Same dude. Hates to get up in the morning, but for some reason gets up every Tuesday at 530 to go play pickup basketball with his buddies down at the school. That same dude tells his buddy, hey, and I've told this story a million times, hey, do me a favor. I just want to be late to work. When it's 7 o'clock, could you do me a favor and just let me know so I can get out of here and get to work? down the court by the way he's dying he's huffing and puffing like it's as much cardio as and i'm not saying a treadmill's bad at all i'm just saying for this guy it's different he's running up and down the court buddy on the sideline goes bro seven o'clock man you got to get ready to go he looks over he's like oh thanks i got one more minute i can run one more minute here's the fundamental conversation that i had with dr kwame brown we all were together in canada and we came down this statement came out and it like literally was so profound to me it rocked me man and it was this You have to coax, prod, encourage, motivate, bribe, reward, whatever training for most people. You have to stop play. Bro, if that's not a paradigm changer, if that's – and if anyone out there heard that and was like, whoa, man, lean into that. Think about it. Here's the last thing I'll say. Most of the kids we're training, most of the people we're training, they're not going to be pro athletes, right? Play, giving them an opportunity to find joy and find laughter and find happiness with results in their fitness, in their activity, in their lifestyle, they will be able to carry that with them for the rest of their life. By the way, that's the last phase of long-term athletic development. It's called athletes for life. Not most of our athletes are going to be back squatting heavyweight for life. Not most of our athletes are going to be on a Vertimax jumping for life. But if you give them things that they enjoy doing, love doing, can create doing, they have a they have a toolbox of stuff that they can bring to the world and make it their own and be reminded inside because they're going to have emotional connections to that play that you give them. And oh, by the way, they'll learn how to play in life. They'll learn how to play in the workplace. They'll learn how to play in the parent-teacher organization. They'll learn how to play in which group. They'll learn how, they will learn how to collaborate and how to find the best outcomes, do their part, encourage others, and have fun with what they, the task that they're playing together at if we give them an opportunity to learn how to do it. So what's next? I'm sorry. I just had to jump on that bandwagon, and I've rode it too long. Yeah. Hey, don't, don't apologize. That's, that's good stuff that you're sharing, and I think it, it needed to be said, and it just reinforces that you know, when you just said that about they have to stop play. Yeah, coaches, that, that may be that aha moment. And, you know, what I want to do with this show is, is make sure when you talk about it, and, and I think you're giving concrete examples, you're showing that there's science behind it um, and how important it is, I want to connect them with resources. And I know you've got a lot available, and I'm going to try to make sure that in the show notes there, there's access to different articles and videos and um, just ways to do it. But there's a wealth of information out there. Um, but I think the cool part and the thing that we're addressing in this 
episode and I'm trying to address through the show with even other interviews is um, you can, there's so much information out there on how to implement play, but it doesn't mean anything if you don't buy in to the fact that it will work. There are benefits. Um, yep. And this is long-term how this athlete is going to develop, develop that love for sport for life, like you just said. So mm. I think the fact that, you know, you went in to share those points uh, just drives it home even further to the point where if you're mm. on the fence about this, I, I don't see how someone could listen to that and hear just all the benefits of that paradigm shift and, and say, I'm not going to give it a try and really dive in uh, because you're missing mm. out on so much good that can come from it. So I appreciate you sharing that. All right. Well, I hope you enjoyed part one of my interview with David Jack. He just had a ton of great points, and and I want to extract a few of the things I took away from our conversation um, just to kind of bring it all back together. Um, And and like I mentioned early in the show, and you heard it several times throughout the conversation, his mission of magnify the good – I think one of the reasons I wanted to talk with David and and get into his mission and vision is because I think as coaches or strength coaches, fitness entrepreneurs, whatever that title is that applies to you, I think we can all take something from his mission. And maybe your mission statement doesn't look the same, but we should all be looking to magnify the good and inspire others. And you can just tell he talks about it with such passion. Um, I think that inspires all of us to really look at how do we serve those um, that come into our facility or that we are leading or that are clients of ours, whatever that may be. Um, And you can just tell he spends a lot of time thinking about that and it leads to action, which is another main point I took away of it's one thing to have um, a time to reflect and and even to um, just assess how you're doing towards your goals. And I think a lot of times, most of us don't even spend enough time doing that. But as David said, that's not even enough. It's how do we act? How does that set the boundaries and set the goalposts for some of our actions and behaviors? And just a a great timely reminder of how we all should be doing that. Uh, Again, whether in coaching or whether in our business, how do we constantly look at are our behaviors working towards what our mission and vision are? And again, as you saw from David, I, I think he does a great job. Not perfect at it, as he'll admit. There's a lot of times where he's hit and missed and had to take a pivot or move another direction. Uh, but you can tell constantly coming back to it, there's some freedom within that, but also some structure. And then as we moved into our talk on being motivated by fear versus joy, loved some of his points in that, and even just this whole concept of long-term athlete development that I've been talking about my past few episodes with different guests, I think it's important to note what he said about being able to assess athletes during play. There's a lot of advantages um, and benefits, even as a coach or strength coach, to say you can learn a lot athletically. And physically through that. There's also a ton of character and leadership lessons to be found in that. But what I really learned from and felt convicted of a little bit is when it's time to do some type of a game or team building activity, 
or something fun, a lot of times we stop at the fact that, hey, I, I included something fun. I did my part. This is just going to work. And as David said, play works. You just have to let it happen. It does. But we'd be foolish not to learn from that and not to be assessing in some way, shape, or form, whether that's taking notes, making mental observations. I think there's some wisdom in how are we capturing some of these things, whether it's during play or even during lifting sessions or training sessions or practice. How are we looking at video footage? How am I able to show someone, here, here's what happened here, here's what I saw, and then being able to break down what that means. So I think utilizing technology, whatever that means, um, it was a great reminder to me to not just put it out there, but especially as we want to educate parents, educate coaches, on developing them as an athlete, those that we um, are coaching, we have to be able to learn from everything. And not that's not just the main exercises. Sometimes that's in the conditioning, that's in the play, that's in the games, um, that oftentimes we just kind of shut off and assume that there's not much we can draw from that. So that really challenged me, and I, I thought it was a good point for all of us to take from it. So I will... Make sure that in the show notes, there, there's a few links to different resources that I think will further help this discussion. I'll also make sure I put all the information on how you can find David and connect with him online or through social media, as I definitely recommend that you check out some of his work and what he's doing. And next week, I will be able to post part two of that conversation with David. So I think, again, another just great conversation that we dive into a few different topics, and I think you're going to learn a lot from it. So I, I highly encourage you to check out part two of our conversation next week. So thanks, and I'll talk to you all again soon.